Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, August 3rd, we are studying Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. Samson has been selected to serve the Lord from his birth, and the Spirit of the Lord has already begun to stir in him as a young man. So how will the Lord use Samson to begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines? Today's text begins to answer that question in what is perhaps a surprising way. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Philip Hoppe. Pastor Hoppe serves at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppe, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, certainly glad to be back with you today to discuss this part of Scripture uh, with you and uh, with our hearers. So, Pastor Hoppe, as we get started, we're just learning about Samson here. We've seen his birth narrative in the previous chapter, learned a little bit about him, saw him born, and, and as a young man, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. What do we need to remember from that chapter that will particularly help us as we see him begin to act as a judge here as an adult? Yeah, I think just a couple things we could put in our mind. Uh, first is just to remember that, you know, Samson here is the last uh, of these official judges, right, that we get. And so, uh, you know, he kind of, uh, in that way, is, is the conclusion to this whole uh, period of God's, uh, you know, people uh, living under the judges. And so some of the themes, you know, that have occurred throughout the book of Judges, we kind of uh, see here as well. One of those, of course, being that there's always kind of an enemy uh, lurking about that's, uh, you know, when God's people have forgotten him and his ways, uh, God uh, sends one of these nations to uh, bring them to repentance ultimately. And so here we're dealing with the Philistines, uh, largely in the Samson story. And the final thing is that we should remember that of particular importance is that he is a uh, Nazarite, a one uh, set apart uh, for the Lord. Um, if you want to read more about that, you can look in Numbers 6. But some of the key points are that uh, being set apart for the Lord, uh, at least for a time, we know that uh, it seems many Nazarites kind of had a period of service and so then they were um, freed from some of these things. But for Samson, uh, kind of right from his birth, we're told that, you know, he's not supposed to have uh, any strong drink, no alcohol. Um, he's not to participate, of course, in eating unclean things. Uh, he's not to have contact with the dead. Uh, and uh, as we'll find out later in the Samson story, kind of the importance of the fact that uh, a razor is not supposed to touch uh, his head. He's not supposed to cut his hair. So we won't get to that story uh, today, but uh, you will in a in a future lesson. But the, the fact that he is set apart, and yet we're going to watch as he does some things that are certainly not God-pleasing is kind of a, a contrast that, uh, you know, we see in his life, and unfortunately, we see it in ours as, light as well, right? That we too are set apart, and yet do not always walk uh, according to the Spirit as we ought. Hmm. Samson, as the last judge here in this book, as I've reflected on his story, which I know we're just beginning now, but I think you you really see Samson almost sum up everything that you've seen in the book of Judges so far. So think about, you know, he, he's been set apart from birth. That's not all that different than the nation of Israel. When the Lord brought them out of Egypt, he set them apart to be his holy people. And what do you see from them from there on out? Well, they, they start to fall away. They rebel. We've seen that in their history. We've seen that particularly in the book of Judges. And we're going to start to see that here in Samson's life till they till he hits rock bottom, till Israel hits rock bottom. And then there's this matter of deliverance. And so I think just to put that in our minds as we look at Samson today and as we go through his account to see perhaps the way that he serves as a, a summary of everything we've seen in Judges particularly and really much of Israel's history. Any thoughts, Pastor Hoppy? 
No, I think you're spot on with that, that that is certainly a valid observation that, yeah, we're seeing this, I mean, as a picture of what's going on at this time and even more broadly again, yeah, with the people of God uh, throughout all times. So let's let's see what happens with Samson. Again, he's was born at the end of chapter 13. We heard that the Spirit of God began to stir in him, and that's where we pick it up. So Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. All right, I think we'll pause there, Pastor Hoppy. This is the first real introduction we have to Samson in terms of any action or dialogue that we get. And given what we know about him so far, that he is a Nazarite set apart from birth for his whole life to serve the Lord, I think that what we see from him at the very get-go is a bit surprising. This isn't what we were expecting to see from this chosen deliverer. No, certainly not, right? I mean, if you were just writing the story in just an ideal sense, you know, if you weren't just uh, recording what actually happened, if you wanted to sort of, uh, you know, write the holy works of Samson, right? This this would not be in there, right? That he was uh, right away here as, like you said, at least this kind of main first story that we get of him. He is uh, going here and he you know, finds this Philistine woman um, uh, attractive, I guess would be the maybe the easiest way to say it. Um, and he decides he's going to marry her. Uh, and uh, he's going to, you know, we see, of course, the the differences here between our culture uh, and theirs as far as the role of the parents, of course, was prime uh, really throughout, I think, most of human history. We may be the exception to that, right, that the parents were the prime uh, kind of arranger of uh, at least the end of marriage. Here we see, right, this isn't that his parents just picked someone for him. Uh, but that we do see that, um, you know, he picked the person, but then told his parents to arrange this. Of course, the, you know, the problematic part of this is that he has not chosen um, someone from his tribe, uh, the tribe of Dan, uh, or uh, even more broadly, I think we could say here of any of the Israelites. Um, And instead, he is choosing a Philistine. And as his parents say, right, you know, uh, you have to go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. Um, interestingly enough, uh, you know, there's a list of, in Deuteronomy, um, that God uh, tells the people, right, when they go in and they conquer the promised land, that they are not to marry uh, the Canaanites. And there's this list of forbidden nations. Uh, The Philistines actually aren't on that list, and that's because they're not technically Canaanites. Uh, It appears at least that the Philistines uh, sort of originally come uh, from Crete. um, uh, And, uh, you know, and so they're not listed probably there because they're just not officially Canaanites. But they share certainly uh, one characteristic with all the Canaanites, and that is they're not uh, fears of the one true God. They're not uh, God's people. They don't believe in the one true God. They have false gods. Um, And therefore, right, this is inappropriate for uh, a man who uh, is God's child and even particularly is one set apart, right, for holiness before God. Uh, to join himself so closely uh, with someone that is not of the people of God. And that's, of course, what the whole circumcision bit is about. It's not about, you know, the actual uh, act so much, but that this is the marker of God's people in the Old Testament, right? Just like baptism uh, would be the marker in the New Testament. Uh, If you were part of God's people, you were circumcised, just like we would say today, if you're part of God's people, you're baptized. Um, But so that's the whole point here is, you know, his parents get this, this should not be occurring. 
Mm, right. There's there's a number of things that are going on here with Samson from a that are just wrong. One, and I want to come back to that a little more, Pastor Hoppy. But even on a on a more basic level, look at the way that Samson approaches marriage. You know, just go. I've seen this one woman. Go get her for me for my wife. I mean, I, I'm reminded of the in the marriage right that we have. One of the things that that the pastor says is that all persons who marry shall take a spouse in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. So, I mean, just on a very basic level, you've got Samson missing the boat there on the sixth commandment. Granted, he's, he's looking for marriage. That's not wrong, but he's not doing so in the holiness and honor that God desires. You've got him breaking it. The fourth commandment, he's disobeying his parents who are trying to instruct him in the word of God. And then as, as you've pointed out, and I think we can spend a little time talking about this, he's, he's looking for a wife who does not worship the one true God. And think about marriage as a man and a woman joining together and becoming one flesh. Well, for, for one man and one woman to join together in one flesh and yet worship two different gods, that, that simply doesn't go together. And, and so to see what Samson does here, it, I think invites a, at least a few moments reflection on what the Lord would have for his own people today in terms of their looking for a, a husband or a wife. What, how does this apply to Christians today, Pastor Hoppe? Well, yeah, we really get uh, this idea um, that we are, uh, when we think about this whole idea of dating and marriage and everything that is going on uh, in how we do that today, one of the things is that we are often, right, living right amidst uh, unbelievers. Uh, For the tribe of Dan, they were sort of on the edge of the promised land, and so they interacted with them a lot. It's even, again, probably worse for us in the sense that we probably intermingle uh, even more. Um, And so then the question is, right, are we likely to, in our day-to-day life, find someone, you know, attractive in one way or another uh, that is not a believer in God. Well, yeah, right? I often will joke with my confirmands that, you know, when I'm talking to them about this, I'll say, I understand that the first thing you might think when you see a person of the opposite sex is not, wow, I wonder if they're Lutheran, right? You know, that may not be your <laughs> your first thought, uh, but it but it should be a thought soon after, right? Uh, um, the, the other thing I wanted to share here is this was a unique experience, at least for me. It was uh, uh, earlier in my ministry, I was uh, a guest at a wedding uh, where one of the, uh, the, the bride was of, uh, from the Philippines. And one of the unique things they did in the wedding, because it was a tradition in her country, was to literally they had a rope that was in a figure eight shape. And they put it over the neck of the husband and the wife to show them in the service being yoked together. Um, and it's this reminder of this passage from Second Corinthians, uh, the sixth chapter, uh, where it says, right, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And this is kind of the, the whole point, right? Again, like you said, if you are going to be one flesh tied that closely with another, well, you should not be doing that with unbelievers. You should not be yoked that closely together. Right. It just, it's, it's inconsistent, I think, with it, with a couple of things. It's inconsistent with the matter of, of Christianity, where as a Christian, I'm seeking to follow Jesus Christ, my Lord, with all my heart, mind, body, soul, with everything that I, I am. That's the direction I'm pointed. And, and then in marriage, with two becoming one, if I'm pointed in that direction as a Christian, and that is where my ultimate loyalty must lie. I mean, think of the times Jesus talks about anyone who would love any relationship and wife or husband would be included in that. Anyone who would love that relationship more than he loves me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. So I, as a Christian, have to be pointed that direction. And if I'm yoked, united to another person in marriage, and and that person is pointed in another direction, I mean, it, it just doesn't take much it doesn't take much to see how conflict is going to very easily arise. Now, of course, and I'm sure you 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 know this, Pastor Hoppy, any number of people will say, Yes, Pastor, but it worked for me. It worked for us. And and granted that the Lord can work in ways that are outside of what I would say is is normal, granted. But when we think about teaching our young people how they should think about marriage as a a good and godly gift and what they should be looking for in a a God-pleasing spouse, 
I think we need to be very frank with these things, that, that a Christian should be looking to marry another Christian. And I, I think you said this, I'll, I will if you won't, that a Lutheran should be looking to marry another Lutheran. I mean, again, if we take our confirmation vows seriously, that, that we intend to remain steadfast to this confession and faith for the rest of our lives, then I think we should be, again, which direction are you going to be pointed? If that's the way you're pointed as a, as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, then it just makes really good sense to have the person who's joined to you in one flesh pointed in the same direction. Yeah, I, I often kind of use as a practical way to say that if you're going to uh, be interested in someone or dating them, they should be a Christian. By the time you're getting married, they should be a Lutheran. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that again, it's not uh, it, to use the image of the yoke, right? If, if we're both uh, Christians, you know, genuine Christians here, um, you know, it's not that one is facing forward and the other one backwards. But again, even one facing a little to the left or to the right is not going to work mm-hmm. well with the yoke, right? And so you, you want to be aimed exactly the same way. And yes, as you said, are there exceptions? Yes. And even here in our own story, uh, we're going to actually in verse four that you read, we kind of get a hint at this again, that what Samson was doing was not God-pleasing, and yet God was going to work it out to his ends. And so again, uh, does God sometimes, right, take situations where Christians marry someone other than another Christian, or even, you know, again, uh, not of the same confession, and does he work good with it? Well, certainly he does, but that doesn't mean that the original act was what God intended. Um, If God was limited only to work through our good acts, uh, he would be quite limited indeed. Right, for sure. Right, that Samson here, and and that's I think that's a very good distinction to make when when we're talking about what Samson is doing here. We're not going to excuse him for where he falls away from what God's law has given him. And in the same way, we would we would encourage all Christians to walk in the way of of God's law, walk in that that way that He has given, that He has said is good, and and where we would stray from that, and where we would go off course, and and we would experience the ill effects of that. Well, that. That's our fault, but none of that is going to stop God from working good. And and particularly here in the, the case of Samson in Judges 14, it's it's quite striking the way that it's it's phrased. And this is where I think we, we want to go back particularly to Samson, because it we would not be speaking wisely to say, well, it worked out okay for me, therefore it must have been something that, that God wanted. Well, let's let's be careful there. But here with Samson. Wow. I mean, verse four, you're you're right. His father and mother, Samson's father and mother, didn't know that this was from the Lord for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. It sounds like that the he that was seeking the opportunity is not Samson, but the Lord. Yeah, that's what it certainly appears here. As far as I I have to admit that I'm not uh, probably the Hebrew scholar that I should be, but from everything I could read, you know, the he could refer to either. Uh, But, you know, you get two things here. One, again, that God has something planned that's even going to happen, right, in spite of what Samson is doing. And yet we can struggle a little bit, right, because the language on the whole here says, you know, almost this this whole thing was from the Lord, right? That that God uh, set this this whole thing in motion for uh, good. Now, and the other thing we should point out, which is maybe odd to our ears, the good that's really being spoken of immediately here is the destruction of the Philistines, right? Where our ears are, um, you know, to think of God punishing his enemies to our modern ears sometimes, we have a trouble thinking of that as good news because it's destruction. But the destruction of God's enemies in the end is good news, right? It's part of the salvation that God works for his people. Um, And that's what he's going to bring about. But yeah, you uh, certainly jump in here uh, with, you know, like you said, the struggle here of how it's worded and that the thing is evil, but God is uh, working through the thing or even, you know, uh, uh, allowing the thing or sending the thing in order to accomplish a different purpose. Right. We, we wouldn't say, based on what we know from the rest of the Testament of Scripture, we would not say that God is the author of evil, that he in any way, shape, or form is the cause of Samson sinning against him. And, and yet, God is going to take that sin, allow that sin, even, I, if I, I think I can say this correctly, God would direct that sin. Again, not that he would cause it, but he's going to take this sin that is there in Samson's heart and direct it 
toward his good. There's a there's a phrase that I know others have shared with me here on Sharper Iron before, and I believe it's it's Luther's that that even the devil is God's devil. That that it all falls under his his sovereignty, his rule over all creation. That even the devil the Lord will use for his own purposes and for his own good. Not that God is the cause of evil, but that as all evil occurs, that God uses it and and directs it such that history does work itself out for the sake of the good of his people. And as you said, that good here is the destruction of his people's enemies, the Philistines, which which is troubling. And yet this is, this is something that if we lose, I think we lose the, the fullness of the salvation that God has given. Uh, Pastor Robbie, feel free to, to respond to what, what I was hopefully saying well, because I mean, I hope, I hope it was good. <laughs> hey. Feel free to respond to what I was saying about you know, God directing the, the evil. And then also a little more on why it is important for us to recognize that part of the salvation that God is giving is a destruction of our enemies. Yeah, so I think um, you know, on the first part of of just kind of talking there about how, um, oh, sorry, my main my mind just slipped on me here a little bit. Uh, the first part you would say, oh, just directing evil. I'm sorry about that. So when we're talking about God uh, directing evil, and I, I like that way of phrasing that, you know, we really see this probably all through the scripture, even in places where it's not pointed out, right? I mean, even I think here in the book of Judges, I think it's fair to say that most of the time, these nations that are brought against God's people, uh, they are not being brought against uh, their own will, right? They have a sinful will that would like to conquer uh, the Israelites anyways. And yet God is directing that, right, to his end in the moment to bring his people to repentance. So I think we see this pretty consistently that an evil activity um, is um, directed. I like that word, like I said, uh, you know, by God uh, for that. And and why it's important, um, the second question of kind of why is it important to see the destruction of God's enemies as part of salvation and part of the gospel ultimately, right, is because you don't get to a new heaven and a new earth where there's nothing bad and nothing impure can ever enter into it unless the enemies of God are finally dealt with. Um, and so while, again, we are, we're hesitant because we, we kind of cringe at the thought of any destruction, um, God uh, has said always, and he does, right, he defeats in the end the enemies of God's people so that they cannot touch nor harm God's people. And that's part and parcel of what salvation is all about. I think part of the reason that we struggle with this matter of destroying the enemies of God is we recognize, hopefully, we recognize that one of the enemies of God is the sin that dwells within me. And, and that in order for, for God to destroy those enemies, he has to destroy the sinner that's in me. And I, I, wonder, I wonder if sometimes we, we pull back a little bit from that destruction language because we recognize that and then it's a matter of, well, I'm not that bad. Not my sin doesn't have to be destroyed. I'm I'm not really that bad. And we're maybe looking for a way out. Perhaps I might be I might be thinking a little bit too hard about that. And, and it could be other reasons that we're a little skittish about saying it. But I think you're right. We do need to hold on to it because this is. I mean, if if we're going to take this seriously, that these enemies do mean for our eternal destruction, our eternal separation from God forever. Then we need them to be destroyed. And we can't do it, so God has to be the one to do it for us, and and we should we should long for Him to do that for us, in, including the destruction of our own sin, lest that too separate us from Him forever. No, I think I think you're exactly right. Right, how we deal with sin in the grandest scope and how we deal with sin thinking about it personally are always related right you can't you can't think that sin in the world is is super uh terrible and needs to be dealt with and not also recognize that that also means that sin in you uh is really terrible and needs to be dealt with right you're going to go one way or the other on sin either it's not a big deal for everybody uh or it's a big deal for everyone including me and and we tend to like Right, that it's not that big of a deal uh, because our our main thoughts are about ourselves. Yeah, right. Yeah. So if we're gonna if we're gonna say that sin is a big deal, then we have to focus on ourselves too. That the sin in me is a big deal, and I need God to do something about that as well, and not just my neighbor. But again, 
we need to hold on to that, lest we lose the the fullness of the salvation, the deliverance that God is giving, and and the picture of what He's doing here with delivering His people from the Philistines and then from other enemies as well throughout the Book of Judges is ultimately meant to give us that picture of salvation from those greater enemies, from from sin, from death, from the power of the devil, so that when we we see the victory that God wins here over the Philistines, we're reminded of that victory that He's given to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Pastor Aubrey, we're going to go ahead and take our break here. You're listening to Sharper Iron. Going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 3rd, and we are studying Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. We've got Pastor Philip Hoppy with us. He serves at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppy, prior to the break, we looked at this setup. We, we meet Samson. He's not quite the deliverer that we were expecting. He's got some pretty blatant sins against the sixth commandment, against the fourth commandment. He's even sinning against the first commandment in the way that he doesn't seem to mind that he's going to yoke himself to a pagan. And yet through it all, the Lord is going to work to bring about the destruction of the Philistines through Samson and these very acts. So we pick up again in the text in Judges 14, verse 5. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. All right, we'll pause there again, Pastor Hoppy. So we know that this is from the Lord, that he's going to work, and we get the, the narrative continues. So Samson is going to continue on this path of going ahead and marrying this Philistine. Uh, just take us into what happens. I don't remember what we talked about. In terms of geography, you know, he's going down to Timnah. Where exactly is he? Is he going? How far of a journey is this? Just give us some of those details from the narrative. Yeah. So, I mean, he's going down probably, you know, something like four miles from everything uh, I understand, um, you know, about kind of the geography of the time. So, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, uh, not too far of a trip. And as we mentioned, that uh, probably part of why all of this is going on in the first place is that where uh, the people of the tribe of Dan lived and where the Philistines lived was just very close geographically. And so, yeah, here now they're making this trip down uh, basically to kind of, you know, looks like arrange everything for uh, the wedding. And, uh, you know, we get this just uh, interesting idea because we kind of seems like they're traveling together. And then all of a sudden uh, we get this idea that Samson must have sort of wandered off uh, by himself. Who knows, maybe, you know, wandered uh, in front of his uh, parents, you know, being uh, younger, perhaps maybe he gets up ahead of them or, or falls behind, whatever it is. Uh, we, I think we see this in some of the traveling narratives of scripture in general, Jesus is included, right? That, you know, we think of, gosh, if a parent is going to travel, uh, they're certainly going to know exactly right where their child is, right? At all times. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't seem to be that was always the case. So for whatever reason, Samson kind of gets a little separated here. Uh, and this uh, lion comes uh, out towards him. Um, we're told the lion is roaring, right? We're even kind of given this, this, the fullness of the picture here that this was not just 
uh, a lion off on the side of the road, but it was a threatening lion to him. Um, and here again, now here comes the spirit of the Lord upon Samson, even though again, he's sort of in route to do something that God has said not to do. Uh, God pours out his spirit on the moment and gives him physical strength in this sense, uh, to be able to do destroy this lion. Um, they say that the, the note about the young goats, right. was kind of like, uh, speaking of how one would, uh, prepare, uh, these goats, you know, as you would kind of roast them. And then, uh, you know, the men at least would kind of just rip apart, uh, the, the meat, uh, to, to begin to eat it. And so that's kind of the picture that he does this number one, not with a goat, but with a lion and not with a roasted lion, <laughs> but with a live and roaring lion, right? There's kind of all these contrasts to give a, uh, give us a sense of how uh, miraculous this is that he is able um, to do this. And so, um, you know, he goes there, he does this, and then he goes down and, you know, even just the, the details of the story here, you know, we kind of forget that at this point he hasn't even talked to the woman, right? He just saw her and <laughs> that was good enough. Uh, and now, you know, he at least talks to her and finds out, well, yeah, still good enough, you know? Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but that's kind of the, the first, you know, part of it is, um, I don't know if you have any comments there or we can go to the well, next trip. A couple, just, just real quick. I mean, just to, to notice the, the, brute strength maybe I mean, that may be the right way the brute strength of samson here how he just effortlessly rips a part of lion so that we we get a, a a good picture of samson in our heads i i'm glad you you mentioned too the the matter of you know he's actually now talking to this woman that that is but i the phrase i want to pick up on is that she is right in my eyes is the way that or she is right in samson's eyes when it's from the narrative perspective it, later on in the book of judges starting in chapter 17, the narrator is going to pick up on this phrase and he's going to say everybody in Israel was doing what was right in his own eyes. And and boy, thinking thinking about the way Samson's story ends, and this is maybe a spoiler alert, but what happens to Samson's eyes before the end of his life? His eyes are actually gouged out. So the, the fact that this woman is right in Samson's eyes, again, as we've been saying, is, is probably not a, it's not a good thing. And it's maybe a bit of foreshadowing. And again, a, a picture of everything that's going on in Israel all at once. So yeah, just, just, a, a, just those two things real quick. And, and so then I mean, more go go a bit deeper than with this. That's the the basic narrative, Pastor Robbie. Take us a, a bit deeper into what's going on. How do we how do we still see Samson, um, not in the most faithful light here? Well, I think as we continue on the story, you know, and the idea is that we get this, you know, and some days later, you know, he returned to to take her as his wife, um, and we see here now that this uh, the carcass of the lion, um, you know, seems to most uh, several commentators get into the the whole detail of this, right, uh, trying to explain how this happens in in nature, and I admit I'm you know uh, not well versed enough in how lions would decay otherwise, you know, or things like that, but they say in the in the hot sun uh you know that it almost is like the carcass can almost sort of get uh, mummified you know very quickly and so um so you have this carcass and this honey now is there because the bees have made a beehive in this carcass well you know again like if you're just reading this without any other thought you can just go wow what a odd occurrence but there's this sweet stuff there to eat and he eats it well remember again he's a nazarite right so he's not to have anything to do with carcasses period right so he's going there and then the honey which otherwise would have been fine to eat you know as far as the jewish uh, dietary laws um you know even think back right to going into the promised land a land flowing with honey but here again because the honey is in the dead carcass it becomes unclean food as well and you know not only does he eat it but then he gives it to his parents who even though they were not Nazarites, should not be eating unclean food either. Um, And so we just kind of see him, you know, again, just kind of, uh, you know, I don't think there's any sense that he's doing this consciously, maybe, but he almost seems to be going right down the list of the things he's not supposed to do as a Nazarite and seeing how to do them, right? Uh, And like I said, we won't get to the cutting of the hair quite yet, but uh, you know, we get here the the dealing with the dead carcass and the eating of unclean things. Hmm, right. It's it's not. Uh, yeah, you don't get the picture maybe that Samson is like 
willfully rebelling against the Lord and his word or, or purposely like he's somehow set against the Lord and is doing these things just out of sort of blatant hatred or something like that. But there is a, a sense of neglect at the very least, I think, with Samson that he it just doesn't seem to cross his mind that he's a Nazarite and this shouldn't, you know, that 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 this is out of bounds for him. It just he's he's just sort of doing whatever comes to him. Again, that go, to go back to that phrase that comes up later, he's doing whatever seems right to him in his own eyes at the time and come what may. And and at least for the time being, you know, the Lord is is working through him to to deliver his people from the Philistines and and Samson quote gets away with it. Maybe we could say it that way. He uses his strength to get away with these things, but it it does catch up to him as as we will see. But yeah, he, he's just sort of willfully neglecting things and it just over and over again it just sort of piles up not probably all that different from the people of Israel during the time of judges where they they have this time of rest and they get complacent and they just start to fall away until before you know it they're they're in outright idolatry and i don't i don't know if samson ever falls that far but but yeah i mean the the picture painted is is not of a a careful Christian by any means. He's just very negligent overall. So let's let's see how this account ends then. So let's go ahead and read the rest of, of Judges 14. He's this all these details are going to come together very nicely. If, if you're wondering well, what in the world is is a, a lion with honey and have to do with anything, it, here here we go. Judges 14:10. Samson's father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father nor my mother. And shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. That's the end of Judges 14, the end of this account, where all these these threads that we've had come together in just a very memorable scene. So, Pastor Hoppy, to, to get us started into this scene, let, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with this wedding feast, some of the, the wedding traditions. Uh, the, the way that this is described is, is perhaps not, I don't know, I've never... I've never done a wedding that looked quite like this, Pastor Hoppy. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean, in every way, right? Uh, I always think, you know, when you go to a wedding and it's, you know, uh, you know, a half of a day in an affair, how, uh, you know, how tiring that can be. You know, I can imagine seven days, you know, these these people knew how to feast and had the endurance for it, I guess. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, they go here and essentially, um, you know, and, and I don't know if this is a right comparison, but it's the only one I can kind of make is, uh, you know, what? people sometimes talk about sort of as a, a bachelor party atmosphere here, right? A lot of um, probably uh, drinking going on um, and, you know, people, uh, you know, engaging in things like wagering and, and these riddle telling was apparently all stuff that was fairly common at these kind of events. Now, to start with, right, this feast uh, that is thrown, uh, the word almost... Um, 
suggest or is centered around the idea of drinking, that this is a drinking party, right? Um, uh, that's, that's sort of what it's all about. Now, again, we should be clear, it doesn't say that Samson partook, but uh, at the very least, as you said before, it, it at the very least would be a case of him not being careful about uh, the vows uh, that he has in regards to the Lord's, right? And, um, you know, with how careless he's been in other cases, I don't know that it's wrong to assume that he did partake as well. But at the very least, he's placing himself in grave temptation to uh, break this rule about no strong drink. Um, Then he goes about this this riddle telling, you know, and uh, makes this wager of clothes. It's another thing that's probably a little odd for us, you know, Uh, you know, think about, you know, saying you were going to wager on the uh, Super Bowl with a buddy and you say, you know, I want want your T-shirt. Well, maybe that would happen, you know, but uh, uh, not something we typically think of as value. But you see this in the ancient world all over, right? Changes of clothing were of great value. In fact, right later, the uh, these companions, when they come to harass the woman, will basically say, "If we have to give them these clothes, we'll be impoverished." Right. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so there is a great, you know, um, amount at at stake here. Uh, a set of clothing for each man uh, involved, right? Which is not something they took lightly. Uh, the riddle itself, you know, um, it, it's almost got a little bit too of that, and perhaps at least of that bachelor party type uh, vibe, if you will, uh, where, you know, everyone there is kind of thinking about uh, feasting and partying and marriage. And along with marriage is always sexuality is in the picture. And so perhaps part of why he speaks the word the way he does is to try to get them thinking along those lines uh, in trying to figure out this riddle that they might have heard it and said, well, okay, is this somehow related to marriage and sexuality and everything that we're here to feast about? Uh, when, of course, in reality, it was about this this honey that would come out of the lion. Um, the whole thing seems a little bit um, like a pretty good setup for Samson, right? Because uh, I don't know that they have any way of, of solving this riddle. And obviously, by midway through the week, they get that, I think. You know, they realize they're not going to be able to figure it out on their own. Uh, and so they go with their other tactic, which is to threaten uh, Samson's new wife, uh, not only threaten her, but her family uh, with burning, you know, them with fire. And, uh, trying to get out of Samson this uh, secret to the riddle. Of course, you know, when we get to Samson and Delilah in a future episode, right, we'll see this very similar thing play out again. Um, But Samson here, you know, eventually does give up the secret uh, and the people uh, take that secret uh, and, you know, reveal that they are the ones that have, um, you know, solved the riddle and therefore they are the ones that should get these 30 changes of clothing. Uh, maybe I'll stop there for a moment because the you know the last kind of concluding thing there of how he gets those thirty changes of clothing is interesting, but maybe I'll let you jump in here. Sure, I, I think there's, there's just a couple of of details. I think you you laid out very well some of that cultural background that's necessary. The matter of the the clothes as the the item that is involved in the wager, you know, you can't just go to Walmart and buy a, a change of clothes at this time, Clo- particularly linen garments. These would have been uh, finer clothes that we're talking about. So a very valuable thing that we're talking about. Samson, Samson does seem to delight in this uh, back and forth that's going on here. Just a, another example of, of his character, perhaps this back and forth holding on to something that other people don't know. It, it just, it seems to, to be something that, as you said, we're going to see again, the, the riddle that he actually tells is, is very well crafted and, and does require some sort of inside knowledge. It seems such that the Philistines are frustrated. You really get a picture of, we were talking about, you know, the destruction of the Philistines and you, you get a picture here of just how bad they were. It's not like the Philistines were, were just sort of innocent bystanders in all of this, over these 30 changes of clothing, they're ready to burn down this woman and her father's house with fire just over over that, which again, it's not a small matter in terms of finances, but but look at the great lengths that they're ready to go to to avoid having to to pay this to Samson. So it's it's you know, the Philistines, you get a picture of just how evil they were here. 
And then, as you said, you know, Samson's wife comes along and, and she, I think she plays pretty much the same card that we'll see Delilah play later. You know, if you loved me, you would tell me. And, and so Samson, it, it just seems has a, well, the, the women end up being his weak spot. And, and he, he falls into these relationships where he's, he lets himself be manipulated. This woman is very clearly manipulating him and, and it ends up, you know, at least turning against him here where they are able to get the riddle. Uh, but he, he knows what's happened. And, and even, I mean, you can, I don't know if we, it's about where we, we pause, Pastor Hoppy, I think verse 18, they, they answer the riddle. They say, well, what's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? And in his response to them, he knows what's happening. And, and again, you get maybe some of that, um, there, there's some overtones again as to, to what's going on that that fit the wedding context. So keep going with the rest of the narrative for us. Yeah, I mean, certainly there at the end, he kind of has this, you know, this phrase that I, I think even as we read it in English, you know, it makes uh, could make uh, you a little uncomfortable, right? Plowed with my heifer, right? I mean, there's all sorts of things, I suppose, that could make people uncomfortable there, right? Speaking of his wife as a heifer, uh, you know, number one, just, you know, probably don't try that with your wife. Uh, number two, <laughs> number two, you know, speaking of her as a, a possession, right? Uh, and, and then the idea of plowing, whether you whether we take that here as that he's simply accusing them of uh, manipulating her, or again whether there's some even accusation there that they've you know treated her uh, in a sexually improper way as well is is hard to to get. But he but overall he says whatever you did right that's the only way you figured this out. And so then uh, you know so then. Uh, Samson here, again, is the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And when we see this, especially with Samson, when the spirit of the Lord comes, this is where this mighty strength, you know, and you you said before, like, in one sense, we get this picture of Samson as kind of a a big, strong, tough guy in general. And I assume he was right. But, but we should never forget also that these specific acts are not just because he has big muscles, right. But because the spirit of the Lord uh, is rushing upon him. And so what he's basically going to do here is pay off the, uh, the, the debt, uh, but he's not going to do it by taking uh, these, uh, like you said, fine clothes uh, out of his own closet, but he uh, goes and strikes down, uh, these men in this uh, town and takes their clothes and pays the garments or pays the uh, the bed off with those garments. Uh, we, we could say quickly this town uh, was one that uh, at least is believed to have been taken right by the Philistines uh, from the ta- tribe of Dan years before. And so when we reflect upon this idea that God uh, was doing all of this or directing it is the word I think we used, right? Uh, one of the reasons was because he is starting to exact punishment on his enemies now. Um, and this act is certainly that, uh, you know, again, whether Samson fully understands that or not, God knows what he's doing, right? And so Samson might just be mad and uh, vengeful and trying to pay off this debt all at once. And God says, ah, yes, but these people have taken, right, part of the holy land that I gave to my people, and now uh, they will be destroyed. Um you know, the very end of the story, we get this uh, idea and it's, uh, you know, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but it's, you know, it's kind of this weird thing throughout whether this wife was ever coming home with Samson or whether this was sort of he was going to have this wife in this other town and he would sort of go visit when he wanted. Well, as you get into the next chapter with your next guest, uh, you can, I guess, discuss that more because he actually goes to do that, right? He actually goes back to uh, to see his wife. But we're told here at the end of chapter 14 that that wife is given to another, given uh, in marriage, right? To one of probably these 30 companions that uh, we heard about in our text. And so when Samson gets there, there's going to be, uh, trouble because his wife uh, will now be the wife of another. Yeah, I, the whole the whole progression of his attempted marriage to this woman is is very interesting and, and a bit hard to to follow. Sometimes it it does you know how the arrangement was going to work is is maybe a bit hard to say. But at this point, it it does seem that it's it's called off at least from the Philistines' perspective. And it, as, as you said, with tomorrow, what we'll see is that we'll, it, it will go on and um, 
Samson, Samson, it seems was is going to come back, and in, in some sense of the word, I, I at least for our purposes today, I think it's it's worth pointing out that it it does seem that the marriage isn't consummated. We we can't say that for a fact, but he storms out on the seventh day before evening when the marriage probably would have been consummated. They would have waited till the end of this whole feast, and that that does seem a bit significant to me. Again, it's not perhaps certain, but it does seem that that's, that's very likely that the marriage isn't consummated. So, and yet through it all, and this is the last thing I would, would say is that through it all, the Lord still is at work. So pastor Hoppy with that very, uh, cliffhanger of an ending. <laughs> we've, we've got about two minutes here on the morning to, to wrap things up, uh, to, you know, what, what do we do with a text like this as Christians? How do we make use of it? And, and how does it ultimately point us toward Christ crucified? Well, I guess one thing I would say just to start is that, you know, some of these stories I find, right, that are the ones that uh, don't quite make it into the Sunday school uh, books and things like that, and aren't even the ones that quite frankly are, you know, that most Christians can quickly recall. Um, I, I think we should rejoice in these things, that they are things that we have to think through and they slow us down uh, to look at God's word in a little bit more detail. We don't just assume we know, we actually have to look and study. And hopefully that rubs off on us then when we're looking at the other stories that we do know as well, that there are, there are details, uh, there are themes, right, that are being repeated. Uh, and so that would be kind of my hope from, I guess, a, you know, reading the Bible and, and studying it perspective is that these stories would serve that purpose to remind us that slow down a little, look at what's going on. How does it relate to the rest of scripture uh, and things like that? And then ultimately, as you do that work, what you're going to end up with, right, is always, always, always this story of man's sin uh, and his falling away, even despite everything that God does for us, right? Especially when we're talking about God's people. Uh, you know, the uh, I did everything for my beloved vineyard, right? I, I made everything so that the fruit could just be outstanding there. And yet I went and I looked and all I found was these, you know, wild grapes, right? Uh, similar thing here in Samson's life, right? I set you apart from birth. I made you a Nazarite, right? I gave you this strength and this power that comes upon you with the spirit. And yet, Fall, 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 right? Yet wild grapes here is probably a good good way to describe this. You know, you can maybe put that as the headline of this uh, this uh, whole chapter, right? Samson's wild grapes here. Um, and yet, in the end, does that mean that God is not going to save his people, that he's not still going to call them to repentance, that he's not going to save them and destroy their enemies? Nope, he's going to do that as well. And when we talk salvation in the Old Testament, we better always remember how the ultimate salvation came about uh, through Christ, through his death and resurrection, where, as you said before, right, sin, death, and the devil and everything else evil, right, was destroyed uh, through that work of Christ. And and so, you know, when we go themes, we better always end up back at that theme at the end and, and rejoicing in Christ once again. Pastor Philip Hoppe is the pastor at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Judges chapter 14, verses 1 through 20. Pastor Hoppe, thanks for being our guest today. So glad to be with you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.